Hello and welcome back to Freedom Machines with Freddie Dobbs. I'm again back at home in southeast London in Belvedere, but this week the flat is looking noticeably more empty than. Oh, phone just went off the second I started. The flat isn't looking noticeably more empty than the last time I spoke to you, which is probably. I meant to do this every week, but it may be about a week and a half ago. Because as you know, we're in the process of relocating to Tenerife. And that means that everything in our flat in Belvedere has to be taken out of the flat. And I've got a few bits of the wall that I need to fill, paint over, make sure everything's working. Of course, the loo stopped working, so I had to replace something. Get everything ready for the tenant who moves in and I can't believe this, it's almost scary saying it, moves in in 17 days time. Anyway, I know this is a motorbike channel or a motorbike podcast, but I've just got to say something because I couldn't believe it. The the loo stopped working, basically was constantly dripping with water. So I called up a plumber and I said, can you come and have a look at this, please? The plumber came around and said, yep, okay, right, right, okay, I understand. That will be £450 if you want me to do the job. Basically, I'll have to angle grind all of the tiles out of the bathroom, replace the entire cistern unit, and that will be £450. So I said to the plumber just before he left, look, do, do you think... Do you think that possibly it only needs a flusher mechanism? Because I know they're only £26. And someone in my Facebook group of this development we live in said, look, I've done it and it's only £26 and it takes about three minutes to replace and you can do it yourself. Queried that with the plumber, but he said, no, 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 needs the whole thing. So I thought, look, £450 is a lot to spend on a loo flusher. So why don't I just try? Go on to, well, go online, buy this £26 flusher mechanism and just see if I can save a bit of money. So I bought it. It arrived about four days ago. Took three minutes to fit. Fitted it in there. And it worked. It worked. I couldn't believe that is £424 saved. I couldn't believe it. And I did check with the plumber. Look, do you think it could possibly be this? And he said no. So... Just goes to show sometimes, sometimes, sometimes you just got to trust your instinct and give it a go because parts now online are so easy to find and YouTube, just found this YouTube video and I watched a step-by-step guide of how to do it. Uh, YouTube, the saviour so many times for me. Anyway, moving on from toilet related news. The MOT for the Bonneville was on... What was it? It was on Tuesday this week. In fact, Tuesday last week, so about six days ago. And I really was about 50-50 as to whether it would pass or not. I, I am not a good maintainer of motorbikes at all. I don't treat them brilliantly. I don't maintain them too often. So I just never know how it's going to go. And I always have nightmares now. Because the second most expensive car I've ever bought in my life is three and a half, £3,650. And that was a smart car. And it was a diesel smart car, which is probably quite ridiculous of me buying a diesel smart car. Smart cars meant for the city and diesel cars are only good for long journeys. And I decided to buy a diesel city car. Uh, Bought it for £3,650. And about eight months after I bought it, it started having very serious engine issues and smoking to a point where it would do a maximum of 40 miles an hour on the motorway. So I took it to the mechanic and the mechanic said, yep, these diesel smart cars are utter, utter 
garbage and it's an economical it's uneconomical to repair so i ended up selling it 10 months after i bought it for scrap worth 800 pounds so i lost 2850 pounds in 10 months so i always have that fear now but incredibly these bonnevilles they really are great took it to the mot place and it passed first time and i don't even look after it that well passed first time and the mot if you're not a brit is the annual check that every single vehicle in the uk must pass it's a mixture of emissions regulations check the brakes are fine check it's basically not dangerous and not going to kill the planet so it passed first time that was brilliant only cost me 35 pounds to get it through that Today, though, today is the Fiat 500's MOT, and that's got 175,000 miles on the clock. And in three weeks' time, it has to do a 1,500-mile drive from London all the way down through the entire length of Europe, and actually further, because I've got to get all the way through Europe with Monica, get to one of the southernmost points of Spain, get a ferry over to Tenerife. And Tenerife is a big chunk down into Africa. And not only is it driving, but the Fiat has to drive with the trailer, with the Bonneville attached. So I've asked them to give it a service as well, so hopefully it will make it. That, well, that's gonna be extremely interesting. In other news, James Bond's DB5 apparently has almost been found. And I know, I know this isn't biking related, but it's something, well, I love James Bond, I love cars, and this is just too interesting not to say, because if you haven't heard about this, basically the original Aston Martin DB5 from James Bond was stolen back in 1997. And I'm just reading a bit from autocar.co.uk here. The original film car was stolen in 1997 from a private hangar in Boca Raton Airport in Florida. One of the four DB5s used in the film, it was the only example to feature working gadgets. The only example to feature the working gadgets. And it's now said to be worth approximately £18.2 million, although the real value of that it could well be more being such a unique car and genuinely an absolute one-off it can never be replicated the original james bond aston martin db5 that sean connery drove the only one ever with every single working gadget it is just unthinkable how much that could actually go for if it was ever up in auction anyway there are now reports that this car could have been located in the Middle East. So listen to this. The, the Daily Telegraph, a British paper, has reported that the VIN number, which is the vehicle identification number, the VIN number has been recently spotted, uh, which is the DB5 VIN number has recently been spotted, and it's said to match that of the stolen car, and it's believed that the model is now in a private car collection somewhere in either Saudi Arabia, Dubai, Kuwait, or Bahrain, countries known for housing sprawling car collections. But apparently the whereabouts, the specific whereabouts of this original db5 is actually known now so there's a very very good chance here that 24 years after it was stolen it could actually be recovered and 
oh, what a car just to have what would you call it in the in the community again just to be able to be on show again it would really be incredible to see that and do you know what it makes it even more special knowing that it was stolen and somewhere in the middle east for 24 years i actually think that would even add to the value of it it just makes it infinitely more special amazing i love that i had i had a, a great chap from california contact me and we just had a quick chat because I, I just love this. It's he's I think he's got a street twin at the moment, Triumph Street Twin. And he said, what do you think about a street twin compared to the Triumph T120? And the street twin is a 900 cc bike. And for me, that's the perfect level of horsepower uh, and performance for real roads. And when you get up to the 1200 cc bike, I completely understand why people buy them. They're brilliant. They're way more powerful, um, but they're so quick, relatively speaking that uh, you, for me, you lose a bit of the involvement. I like a bike where you have to push it to the limit. But the T120 he's looking at is a little bit different. This is, for me, one of the absolute most special bikes in the Triumph lineup. And that is the Triumph Bonneville T120 Bud Eakins edition. So Bud Eakins was, in effect, Steve McQueen's stunt, stunt rider and a very close friend of his. And Triumph have done this special edition, Bud Eakins T120, white and red tank. I think, I think that is because Bud Eakins rode a Bonneville with a white and red uh, tank color, I think. Let me know if I'm wrong about that. And I know they do, Triumph do a Steve McQueen, Triumph Scrambler. 1200XE Special Edition. I th but for me, honestly, I really, really think that the Bud Eakins Special Edition T120 is the most special bike in Triumph's range. And I'm just going to see if there are any actually available for sale now in the UK because over in California or over in the USA, apparently, and I'm just reading our conversation here, there are only... I think there are only six, oh, here we go. There are only six new ones, Bud Eakins T120s left in the USA. Only six new ones left. It is limited number and just six left. This is gonna be a really special bike in the future, I think. And if you can get your hands on one, actually I'm looking now, this is quite interesting. So I'm on autotrader.co.uk. That's for me just my go-to place just to look at motorbikes in the UK. And I always say this to, to any non-Brits, especially EU citizens, if you're looking for good value, Triumph, look in the UK because they're really good value and it's often worth shipping them over. So let's have a look at this. We've got a selection of four Bud Eakins Triumph T120 Special Editions. There are four of them. They range in price from 9,699 to 9,999. The year is 2020 or 2021. And the mileage ranges from 454 to 2,200. Hmm. God, they, they really are stunning. I'm looking now and that's... That's a very, very tempting bike. They, they look absolutely brilliant with that white on the bottom half of the tank and red on the top half. But if you're looking for what I think will be a really good investment bike, have a look at that. Triumph Bonneville T120 Bud Eakins Special Edition. Four of them available in the UK right now. They will not 
go down in value. It's like that Steve McQueen, Triumph Bonneville special edition that came out, I think 2008 or something. I think it was about nine or 10K, maybe 9K brand new. Have a look at now, they're about 10K. They will not drop a penny in value. And I just thought oh, that was brilliant. There's nothing cooler than that. Having the Bud Eakins Triumph Bonneville T120 and riding around Los Angeles on that. In fact, I think he'll be doing quite a few rides from Denver to LA and back. And just, there's nothing cooler than that. Absolutely off the scale, cool vibes. And this week with Monica, I went somewhere that I've never been before. And that's a place called Bolt Motorcycles London. This is a place in, in a fairly unassuming area of London called Stoke Newington. I think it is, I think it's East London, quite near Shoreditch. So you're, you're going down this residential road and then all of a sudden to the left-hand side, this, just this kind of courtyard garage area straight out of the 1950s it's just on the left hand side you've got cobbled cobbled open courtyard area with all these cobbled stones and then surrounding this square cobbled courtyard are old green sheds and garage lockups made from painted green painted wood and green and these all have kind of old industrial units there. And on the left-hand side, you've got Bolt Motorcycles. And above Bolt Motorcycles, you've got uh, an old-style hairdresser. And then just to the left of Bolt Motorcycles, you've also got Bolt Motorcycles Record Collection. There was an old, I think it was 2004, but classic-style Triumph, Thruxton parked outside, an old Lambretta as well. And the doors were open and right in the corner, there's uh, mixing decks with some old records. And Monica and I walk in and there's a classic Harley Davidson inside. And then you've got a Buell as well. And you've got these old, just vintage 1950s, 1960s style leather biking jackets, you know, the likes of which the Ton Up Boys, the cafe racers from the 50s and 60s would wear. Norton Triumph jackets and some old classic jackets with Triton written on the back in white. And Triton is a mixture of Triumphs and Nortons. I think they took the Triumph engine and the Norton frame to make the quickest bikes they possibly could in the 50s and 60s, the Tunnup Boys. And the Tunnup Boys, just in case you didn't know, these were the, the cafe racers, the street racers of the 50s and 60s. And they were called the Tunnup Boys because turn up literally means 100, because their aim would be to get to 100 miles an hour between cafes, and they would do that a lot on the Ace Cafe strip that run up to Ace Cafe in London. So those vibes in abundance in this place. In the corner, you've got the owner of Bolt Motorcycles mixing away uh, on his decks. You've got coffee available and just just the most authentically vintage retro place I think I've ever seen. They also do a lot of cool ride outs, get togethers and kind of vintage style, vintage enthusiasts getting together in the courtyard to have barbecues, beers, things like that. It really is brilliant. So if you're in the London area, Bolt Motorcycles London. And one other great story, the week before I came, one of the original Ali Pali Tun Up Boys, Alexander Palace Tun Up Boys, from 1957, actually popped in to see the owner of Bolt Motorcycles. To say that, in 1957, I parked, and I'm 
talking in third person. I'm talking about this guy called Frank, who was the Ali Pali Tunup boy. He said, I parked in 1957 my classic Triumph in the corner. And I actually, I parked my bike in the corner where his was in 1957. So he said, uh, he went to the owner and said, I parked my Triumph there when I was a member of the Ali Pali Tunup boys. And he actually brought in his Lewis Leathers motorcycle jacket that he bought in 1957 as well as his helmet his motorbike helmet that he used to wear in the 50s and 60s he brought it in and it's now on display in bolt motorcycles and i just thought that was brilliant i've seen a picture of him on his bike from i guess the late 50s uh, and it's just brilliant i also saw a picture of him sitting outside bolt motorcycles and He's still riding. He's almost 90 years old. And I was looking at the picture for about two minutes thinking, how on earth is this guy nearly 90? He looks 70, absolute oldest. I couldn't believe it. I had, I have to share this because I had, I think, where was this? I think this is from, I think it's from a YouTube video I did where, where I did a Q&A and they said, who would you most like to have dinner with if you could have dinner with people? And I think I said, I think I said Mike Tyson, James Hunt, Frank Abagnale, uh, and and a couple of others. I can't remember the other two. But someone basically watched that and said that they agree with the Frank Abagnale. And Frank Abagnale is the guy that Leonardo DiCaprio portrayed in Catch Me If You Can. Basically, he's a con artist, but incredibly intelligent. He fooled everyone into believing he was an airline pilot, uh, a doctor, and he just lived the most incredible life. And I just had to share this because this is such a great story. And as always, I will keep it anonymous so I don't get anyone into trouble. But listen to this, a kind YouTube watcher sent this in. I, I love stuff like this. He says, I read Catch Me If You Can by Frank Abagnale about 30 years ago. I was fascinated by the idea of getting away with being someone else, just for fun in my case, nothing illegal. I had a few practice runs, then made myself a fake press pass, which I used to get myself an Access All Areas pass at the 1993 Cannes Film Festival. I went to some fantastic parties and even had a photo shoot with Joan Collins. I doubt it would be possible nowadays as security is much tighter. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. I love it. And then moving on. This, this comes, this next bit comes after, I was just chatting about insurance costs in the UK, motorcycle insurance costs. Because for my Triumph Bonneville, living in the worst area probably of the uk for motorcycle theft and crime i pay 150 pounds a year insurance but if i lived in the country which i used to do i used to pay 92 pounds a year motorbike insurance because there's less crime in the countryside and a canadian a canadian gentleman got in touch and uh let me see if i can find this here we go. Right, here we go. Got it. Right, almost lost where I was. A Canadian got in touch to say this. Wow, I have a Triumph 1200 XC and it costs $4,200 a year to insure in Canada. No one gets beep beeped harder than the Canadians insurance wise. 
Wow, it's really interesting hearing different countries uh, and the costs of motoring. Uh, and this definitely isn't me saying the UK is incredible for this type of stuff, but it is really, really interesting. For, for example, for the UK insurance, it is fairly reasonable. We pay road tax as well in, in the UK. So to give you an idea, I think you pay a hundred, about a hundred pounds a year, maybe 120 pounds a year for road tax for a motorbike roughly speaking and that basically means you're legally allowed to ride it on the road you have to pay that and for example i think i pay nine pounds a month or eight pounds a month for that so you have to pay that on top of insurance but that's pretty much the only other cost no other cost at all for uk biking oh actually i did want to say something because going on from the Honda Cub stuff that I was talking about when I, I got extremely overexcited about getting a Cub, and by the way, I do still want one, but Monica does kind of also have her heart set on a Vespa as well. So need to decide, you know, what, what's a good bike to get, especially with Monica, possibly, possibly, if, the, if it's the right bike, maybe she would want to ride and especially as we're going to Tenerife Monica wants to ride in in the nice weather so you've got that in Tenerife but what do you go for you know what's better the Vespa or the Cub two very different bikes but two equally appealing bikes so it's going to be interesting to see what well what if any if either we go for but someone got in touch to say regarding the Honda Cub, have you heard about Med to Med? Basically, a couple of this this guy's friends based in the UK, they are starting a 2000 mile tour on 35 year old Honda Cubs. I think they started it uh, a few days ago. They're leaving Maidstone in the UK and it's 2000 miles. I think it's around the entirety of the united kingdom the entire coast of the uk and if it's for a good cause charity so if you're looking or if you would like to sponsor that med med to the number two med 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 number two med.co.uk um, that looks like a a very worthwhile worthy cause so i think i'll i'll make sure i give them a little bit for that mot's mot's this is interesting MOTs, the annual check that we have to do in the UK, basically once a year you have to do it. Um, and I was surprised actually, a lot of non-British bikers, bikers from the international community, and I really mean this, thank you so much everyone in the international biking community for sending over the messages um, and just letting, letting me know, letting us Brits know what it's like in the rest of the world for biking. It's a really nice international community because it's just as interesting knowing what it's like for bikers in the international community. And th this interested me actually because I had an Irish biker and another Canadian biker saying to me, Freddie, what's an MOT? Why do you need to get an annual check in the UK? And I was surprised by the Canadian biker, but I was doubly surprised by the Irish biker. And the only reason I say that is because we're so close to Ireland, I just assumed Ireland would also have an annual check. So I queried this with the Canadian biker and I said, what, don't you need an annual check once a year of your motorbike to make sure that the bike is roadworthy? Because in the UK, it's just a given. I'm not saying in the UK we're right and you Canadians, you're, you're dangerous. You need to change your ways because you shouldn't be riding. No, not at all. I just find it genuinely interesting. 
So I said to the Canadian rider, um, yeah, what do you do? How do you know if it's safe? Don't you do annual checks? Don't you have that as a legal requirement? And the reply was, no, we don't. A, a safety is required when a used bike is registered by a new owner. So a safety check is required when a, a used bike is registered by a new owner. It can also be done by the seller and it is transferable to the new owner. So many sellers do this as an incentive to the buyer. Obviously, if you're the buyer from a dealer, they certify it before sale. From that point of view, there is no requirement to have it inspected. It's really interesting, actually, just something we assume is standard. Well, I assume as a British guy is standard. It's not standard worldwide. It's really interesting. And I move on to in fact, usually I only do one bike at the end of the podcast, but there are three here, and I want to do all three. Sometimes I, I think, you fairly space it out, next week's podcast, but no. I want, if I've got something I want to say, I, I just can't help it. I want to talk about all three bikes. And they are three bikes that people have kind of highlighted to me in the past week, and three bikes that I think are very interesting bikes that you may not have considered, and they're all good and interesting for different reasons. Let me start with the first one. The first one is the Kawasaki Z900RS. Now, this is a bike. Let me just get the details of this bike up here. Okay, here we go. This is an extremely, extremely good looking Japanese modern classic motorbike. It's a very, very handsome bike. I, you could argue that this is every bit as handsome as the Ducati Scramblers, the Moto Guzzi V7, the Triumph Bonnevilles. It really is a good-looking bike. And Kawasaki's, they have real history with this Z line of bikes. They are fairly close to as sure a thing as you can possibly have to being a future classic. If you look back at the Z900s in years gone by, 70s, 80s, etc., etc., these are sure on things for future classics. And the new, the new iteration, the new version, every bit as handsome a bike. If you're looking for one new, I think they start at, let me just have a look at the cost for a new one. They've got a new one coming out in 2022. So that will that will change things. A new one comes out, I think, January 2022. But if I have a look at the current model, in fact, let me just tell you, the new one coming out in 2022, I was a bit surprised, actually. They are not cheap bikes. They are way more than, for example, a Triumph Street Scrambler, which comes in about eight and a half K. If you want the 2022 Kawasaki Z900RS, you're looking at 12,500 pounds. Big money. But let's look at the current one that's on the market at the moment. That is the 2021 Z900RS performance. We'll have a look at the performance one. You're looking at, for this bike, 10,600 pounds. So it's a good 2K plus over the Triumph Street Twin. But just looking at it, it is a significantly more focused bike. If I look at the horsepower, I don't know why they do this now. Why don't, why don't bike companies just write HP horsepower? What, why is it all changing to kilowatt KW? K, why is it changing to KW, kilowatt? I don't know. So it's 82 kilowatt. 
I have no idea what that means, so I had to Google it and do uh, 82 kilowatts to horsepower. I've got no idea why things are starting to be kilowatts. Just keep it as horsepower. So 82 kilowatts equals 110 horsepower. Okay, this is when I start to see why it's more expensive than the Triumph. Because if you look at the Triumph, that's 65 horsepower. Look at the Kawasaki, 110 horsepower. And it's not just, of course, the gigantic power hike that you get. You also get significantly better brakes, suspension, and everything goes with it. Uh, have a look at these if you're interested in the Japanese Japanese version of a modern classic, because this this isn't this is not a a kind of just a substitute for a BMW R9T, a Moto Guzzi, a Ducati Scrambler. This is not a kind of a, a lower level Japanese equivalent. This Jap Japan make just superb, superbly well built bikes, and this, this is. A, I'm tempted by this. Looking at it, just listen to this. This is on Kawasaki's website, and it, it really does evoke all of those feelings. I, because a good friend of mine who got me into biking, he had a Kawasaki Z. I think it was a Z1000, and it's one of the coolest bikes I've ever seen. That classic white and green uh, tank work, um, just an amazing bike. And these brand new ones, they will be every bit as classic as those, so it's a great investment. Listen to this. There's no place for fake in the lifestyle you choose. Kawasaki alone has the heritage to deliver today's values to, riders, to today's riders in a truly authentic modern classic bike. The visceral spirit of a 1970s legend Kawasaki's original king of cool, the Z1, finds expression in the Z900 RS to satisfy the very essence of the rider you are now. Amazing. So if you look at them price-wise, £10,649, and I'm looking at the cheapest used model, and the cheapest used model for a three-year-old one with with about six and a half thousand miles, 7,900 pounds for the cheapest one, 7,900. That means they have lost about 2,700 pounds in three years. That they keep their value superbly well, superbly well. So have a look out for those. That's a very, very good bike and you will not really be losing any money if you get that. And in the long run, you may even find it goes up in value, but certainly I don't think it will go down in value. One more bike to talk about, in fact, because I will go over too much. Let me talk about two. Final one. A beast of a bike from, I think, the early 2000s. This is a bike that is actually going up in value now because I remember when they were four and a half thousand pounds. And I've got a, I know a few people who bought these bikes at about four and a half thousand pounds around about, around about nine eight, nine years ago or so, maybe even close to 10, nine, eight, nine years ago, bought them for about four and a half thousand and the cheapest, the cheapest of this model now on Autotrader is 7,000 pounds. And the bike in question, the Yamaha MT-09, 1700 cc of Japanese muscle. This is it's a borderline a ridiculous bike it's such a beast it's just so unique it's unlike anything else it's it's the definition of muscle bike i'm looking at it now on auto trader two 
gigantic under seat exhausts. And I'll see if I can find some specs for you here. Let's have a look. Okay. Hmm. Okay, I'm, I'm going to make a guess here. It's got to be over. It's got to be over 100 horsepower. Let me have a look. So Yamaha MT-01HP. Oh, actually, 89 horsepower. God, that's going to be some some talky horsepower there. So 89 horsepower from a 1700cc motorbike. Wow. Wow, I think that is just a superb, superb investment. They look incredible. They've got their circular-ish front headlights. It's got a single shock and oh, it's just the size of that rear tire. That, that is a seriously rare, seriously off the scale cool bike that you really don't see much of any, you don't see many of these at all. That's a very, very special bike. And the amount of them in the UK right now for sale this tells you everything five of them for sale right now in the uk and one of them is modified so i would say if you want if you want a fairly standard looking one there are only four available in the uk on bike trader right now they all look absolutely superb if you're looking for a bike that that is very very left field you know being such a gigantic engine that's a really left field choice i don't know if they sold in huge numbers just because they are so extreme but that would be a real event kind of bike and that's it i'll end it there on that beast of a note thank you so much for being with me this week for this week's episode have a brilliant week all and i will see you or speak to you in the next one